For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap. We're coming to you after the New England Revolution's 3-2 road loss to D.C. United. Brandon Bay gave the Revolution a dream start with a six-minute goal off a of Carly's heel assist, a good long shot. Uh, but horrendous defending saw the Revolution trailing 3-1 by halftime. An 86-minute Uxa goal gave the Revolution a lifetime, but the team couldn't find another and suffered their fifth loss of the season in just their eighth game, matching last year's total over the entire season. I'm Sean Donahue, and joining me today as usual is Chris Lucas. Chris, how's it going? Man, Sean, I, I think I'm happy to say that I'm doing a little bit better than the Revolution's form. Uh, I'm a little bit depressed watching this team week in and week out. We had some hope last week, and it's been dashed. Uh, I'm doing okay, I guess, as good as as good as good one can be after that performance uh, and hoping for, for better days ahead. Uh, how about you? Yeah, you know, I got to say what, what saved me a bit tonight was being able to switch over to the Celtics and watch them take a 3 nothing lead against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, right after that revolution game i i wish we were here to talk about the celtics today because that'd be a much more enjoyable podcast but unfortunately we're here to talk about the revolution <laughs> uh so let's get right into our key takeaways which today are brought to you by our friends at the rebellion check them out on twitter at any rebellion and on their website at any rebellion.org uh chris what, what was your takeaway from this one yeah uh my takeaway is it's a bit different. It's about someone that necessarily wasn't there. Uh, it's Gustavo Bo, and I think the the Revolution are just really missing him on the pitch. Um, I spent some time when the game was over refilling the water in my fish tank. I have a fish named Gustavo uh, after Gustavo Bo, and I was like, man, uh, I really need to see my fish thriving in there because I need Gustavo to be thriving. Filled up my fish tank. The fish is flying around. He's happy. Now I want to see Gustavo <laughs> Bo in real life get on that pitch and be happy. I need to see him fill up his tank and get out there. I saw training reports that he's been uh, training in some capacity. I don't necessarily know what it was. There was a, there was a Twitter video where he was running and uh, thumbs up were given in the video. So hopefully good things to come there. But I think Gustavo Bo would be a difference maker in a game like today. Uh, you know, uh, when the Revs are trailing like that, you kind of need some sort of spark. And I think Gustavo Bo, obviously he's a streaky player. He's he goes in, in games at a time where he's invisible, but he also has, you know, games at a row where he changes the course of the game. He changes the entire uh, direction of the team. Uh, he is another player that the opposition is going to have to defend. It's going to take players away from Carlos Hill, players away from Gustavo Bo, um, uh, Adam Buxa, I apologize. And even I think players like Josie Altador, Sebastian Legette, are also going to benefit from Gustavo Bo being out there. And once he gets on the pitch, I think that this attack is going to just get more and more lethal because there is so much talent on this roster, especially going forward, that they should not be losing games, uh, especially in, you know, I understand necessarily all the goals against. is You can't prevent that when you're on offense, but 
when you have all that possession that they had tonight, it was like, I think it was 68% possession. Correct me if I'm wrong on that number. Um, but 68% possession uh, over the course of a game is a lot, especially with the amount of shots that the, the Revs took, 21 shots uh, total. I expect a lot more to go in, but I think once you add a player like Gustavo Bo or maybe one of the new guys coming in, uh, Barrero or something like that, it's going to just add an extra element to the game. It's going to really open up the attack. Uh, and I think the Revs missed him. Uh, I'm kind of rambling on about it, but that that's kind of my takeaway is that Gustavo Bo was like sorely, sorely missed by this team. And I think it's really starting to show there's just not enough separation for for the star players. Yeah, and you know, I, I, this was not the direction I expected your takeaway to go today, but I, it's a really good one. Um, you know, because they do miss him. There's no question about it. Um, and you know, one thing is when you see a team that bunkers in like DC did, especially after taking the lead, to have a, a guy like him that's such a threat from long range um, yep. can really help bring a team out of that shell. Um, so they certainly miss that. But just overall, I think it was seen as you know, the hope was that Josie Alcador would step in and kind of be that third striker option when you know, either Bo's injured or if Buxa eventually leaves. And you know, whether it's injuries, fitness, form, um, chemistry, it hasn't really happened yet. We've seen some flashes from Josie, but uh, you know, the fact that Justin Renex is now. I think starting over Josie, I think that's fair to say, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's been a while and when Josie has been getting his fitness back. So I, I think it's fair to say at this point that Justin Rennox has been starting over him and, you know, Justin Rennox provides a lot of energy out there, but there's no question his quality is not that of, of Gustavo Bo. Um, so, you know, while you appreciate what Justin Rennox brings to the table, you know, Justin Rennox is not going to strike fear into opposing defenses. You're not going to, you're not going to see defenses having to adjust because Justin Rennox is going to take some 30 yard shot that, you know, creates some magic and goes into the upper 90 with a, you know, 0.06 expected goals chance or something like that, which is what we saw from Gustavo Bo a lot last year. He'd score these goals where, you know, the, the probability of an average striker finishing was very low and he'd find a way to do it. Um, so they're definitely missing that threat and they're missing the kind of the chemistry that he had built with Adam Buxa as the year went on last year, because the two of them were playing really well together. Um, so, you know, throw throwing Tejan Buchanan missing and what he brings and, you know, compile that with compound that with Gustavo Bo being out. And I think that absolutely is, is having a huge impact on this team's offense. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the Renix piece, of course, Renix is not going to like intimidate defenses, but Renix does one thing very well. I think that Gustavo Bo is also pretty good at, and that's finding space and getting him behind Renix is, been pretty well i think overall maybe i'm mistaken here but as far as my eyes have have seen he's good at getting behind he's good at staying on side and getting that pass um over the top and you know he's we saw it tonight it was a beautiful long ball i don't remember who who it was from but it was uh it was a cross uh, a corner to corner cross almost uh Renix took it down on his chest and had some space but then didn't make anything with it and i think that's the difference where if that's gustavo Bo. He's taken that down and he's either going to create a chance for himself or he's going to pass it to someone else uh, and, and create a chance for someone else. Um, but that's that's a huge example of, of why I think the revs are are missing Gustavo Bo. Um, and, and I don't want to I was trying to take this takeaway into more of a, a spin away from negatives because I don't want to talk negatively about the team too much because I think we're going to be doing a bit of that later on. Yeah, and I don't want to take turn this into bashing on Justin Rennox because I think overall he's right. been a good contributor to the Revs this year. Um, but you know, I was going to talk about him later. I do want to briefly talk about him now because I think it's relevant. Is you know he had seven touches in this game and played fifty seven minutes. 
Um, you know, Gustavo Bo is a guy that sometimes doesn't have a lot of touches in a game, but when he does have a touch, he can make such a huge impact. And I think Justin Renick needs a lot more than seven touches to have you know much of an impact on a game. Um, he's not that guy that you know creates something out of nothing. So. Um, you know, when you have a guy like Renex out there and he plays 57 minutes and touches the ball seven times, I don't think you're getting enough out of the striker position. Um, so, you know, again, not to bash on Justin Renex because I do think, you know, overall he's been uh, a net positive for the Revs these past few games, but this was a game where, you know, he didn't, he didn't have enough of an impact because he wasn't seeing enough of the ball. Um, and you know, when Gustavo Bo gets the ball seven times, he might score on that. When Justin Renex gets the ball seven times, I, I think he's pretty neutralized and not going to do very much. Um, and you do bring up a good point. He's good at finding spaces. Um, but we talked about it last week. There's, you know, sometimes where he finds space and, you know, Carlos Hill might not have that trust in him that he has in Gustavo Bo and he might look to another option and force something, um, when, you know, Renex was more open because he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily trust him to, to finish it or, or do, you know, make the right play. And, um, you know, that's, that's something that's missing too, I think, when, when Renex is out there over Bo. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but my takeaway is more of the, the obvious one that I think a lot of people are talking about, but I think it has to be said is, you know, Omar Gonzalez at this point in his career just isn't capable of playing in the Rev system. Um, you know, and I, I talked about this when the Revs first signed him is that the revolution require a lot of emergency defending out of their back line. Um, you know, Andrew Farrell's pace is something that comes in handy a lot for the revolution. You know, they're expecting their width to come from Dewan Jones and Brandon by, and the two of them almost play as wingbacks a lot, um, except they're playing as wingbacks in a system that just has two center backs. And so, you know, that requires a lot um, of mobility out of your defenders, out of your center backs in particular. And Gonzalez doesn't have that. And, you know, that was predictable. Anyone that's watched Omar Gonzalez over the past few years knows he is not a mobile center back. He hasn't been, I mean, he's never really been in his career, but especially over the past few years. Um, and it's been, you know, abundantly obvious that that lack of pace is a huge liability in the way the revolution played. But, you know, more startling to me and, you know, really compounding that issue is kind of his lack of awareness and ball watching that we've seen. Um, and that was, you know, readily apparent in this game. I, I think it was, was it the second goal where there was the cross and he just let his man sneak in behind him. And, you know, a guy mm-hmm. that's six foot five, you expect to win a lot of headers, but he's not going to win the header if he lets his defender to sneak in behind him. Um, and, you know, then the, the third goal as well, um, I think it was, you know, a little bit of blame falls in the turnover. Andrew Farrell, uh, you know, had a bad touch. Um, but then, you know, the guy just dribbled past Omar Gonzalez, essentially, um, Again, Brad Knighton probably should have saved that too. So there's plenty of blame to go around, but I think it's just been a theme this season from Omar Gonzalez is that, you know, A, his mobility isn't there, which, you know, anyone who had watched him recently should know, um, you know, that, you know, that wasn't, that should not be a surprise. Um, and, you know, if you, again, if I, I don't want to, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but if you look at my tweets when he signed, I said that, and I'm you know, far from the only person that did, <laughs> um, you know, that was very predictable and the revolution have, have been forced to rely on him way too much this season. And it's really cost the team. Um, they need to find a way to get somebody else out there. You know, John Bell needs to get healthy and back out there if Henry Kessler is not available. Um, and really, really what they need is Henry Kessler to be healthy and available. Um, and, you know, this summer window, they need to find a way to add another center back or even right now go out there and, and find some, some free agent or some guy playing in one of the lower divisions uh, that you can bring up because any, any option of depth needs to be better than Gonzalez's right now. I 100% agree with this take, so much so that this was actually my key takeaway, too. We came into this with the same exact key takeaway, uh, and I don't think it's hard to see why it was. Um, I'm glad that I changed mine. I think you did a lot better with it than I would have, but on going on the Gonzalez talk, there was even a time in the 15th minute, I want to say, uh, where he just passed it to Sebastian Legette, but it's such a lazy pass, and it's just the lack of awareness that there's an opposition player right there, and it it created a counterattack 
for DC. Uh, thankfully, it didn't result in anything. I don't remember exactly how the play ended, but it was it was a, sh- a few minutes before their opening goal. Uh, it, it, and it was just kind of an unnerving moment where I was watching the game saying, yeah, this is kind of like the revolution I'm used to seeing. This is, uh, you know, a, a, an attacking, exciting team. Uh, they're really putting the foot on the pedal here. And then Gonzalez made a play like that. And I was like, what are you doing? Uh, it, it's just something that you don't expect a veteran player to make. I don't know if his head's not necessarily in the game or what is going on, but that was just um, a shocking, shocking moment. And then you had tweeted, uh, I think it was around halftime, uh, Sean, saying that you'd like to see Earl Edwards come in for for Brad Knighton. And not because you think that Earl Edwards is a better keeper than Brad Knighton, but because it needs to send a message. But I think that same exact message was sent when Henry Kessler came on at halftime for Omar Gonzalez. And I'll say Omar Gonzalez had such a poor match that he was both of our key takeaways and he only played a half in this game. And that half that he played was just so, so terrible. I don't have a way to spin it. Well, I, the first goal and second goal or the first goal and third goal, rather I'm not going to put on Gonzalez. I think that there's other contributing factors that went into that. But aside from the goals, of course, the second goal was, I think, the 110% him not marking his player. But you take the goals off the table. I think he just still had a poor match, unable to pass, unable to mark his uh, his runners, not knowing where he's going. He just looks lost out there. I thought that Omar Gonzalez was going to be an asset to this team as far as maybe in the attack, in set pieces. He's a six foot five player. I'm a huge like proponent of getting a tall frame into the in, into the roster and into the lineup. I think that's important, especially on the back line. But I don't think Gonzalez is the is the answer. And uh, I am at the point now where I say the experiment needs to be over and Omar Gonzalez needs to be somewhere else. I don't know what you're going to do with him with his salary or whatever terms and conditions he has on his on his contract. But I I, I just don't see a way that Gonzalez plays unless you're playing a back five. That's the only way I can see him getting in. Otherwise, I, I don't see how he gets back on the pitch. Yeah. And, you know, something I hit Brad Friedel on a lot was the way he played and how it exposed kind of the defense and, you know, yes. didn't necessarily have the most talented defense, but he played, you know, a style that really exposed his defenders. And I think I got hit Bruce Arena on that, too, the way he's been playing this. I don't want to give Omar Gonzalez an excuse, but, um, you know, the, the way Bruce Arena has his team really exposes those center backs. And when you have a guy like Omar Gonzalez who you know, again, is lacking that mobility and, you know, is getting caught ball watching, it's really going to be apparent um, because of the way Bruce Arena has his team playing. You need your center backs to be playing, you know, close to perfect um, if you're going to push up your your fullbacks the way he's doing and really only play with one defensive midfielder and Matt Polster. Um, There's just so much relying on those two guys. And, uh, you know, that's part of Bruce Arena's system. And if he's going to play that way, he needs somebody better than Omar Gonzalez back there, somebody more mobile, somebody who's, you know, more tuned into the game. Um, and you know, I don't just want to hit on Omar Gonzalez. I think the defense in general was poor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think just about everybody on the pitch had a bad game for the revolution in this one. There, there weren't very many bright spots. We'll get to that later. Um, so I don't, I don't just want to hit on Omar Gonzalez, but you know, that was the obvious one. And if you had to make one change, if you could only make one change going forward, you know, that's the change that needs to be made. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not a new takeaway, but it's one that I think needs to be made after this game. Um, 
There were a few topics I wanted to get to quickly. I have a lot of listener questions, so I think we're going to breeze through this. Same lineup as last week. That didn't surprise me. I think that that makes sense. You know, barring Henry Kessler being ready to go 90, I you know, you keep the lineup that won last week, right? No surprises there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Brad Knight, and we touched on him. He conceded three goals on just 1.6 expected goals. Um, it was a really disappointing performance from him. And well, one thing that stood out that you know, I forget whether it was Brad or Charlie commented on is there was one play where, where Farrell was shielding the ball and, you know, he seemed to yell at night and afterwards, why didn't you come out to get that? Um, you know, there isn't the chemistry there that there is with Turner. Um, I, I think in the same way that there isn't the chemistry with Gonzalez that there is with Kessler. Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. Uh, it, it kind of feels like Brad Knighton almost isn't com- commanding his back line um, at all, but even that, I think it just the shot stopping alone is good, is right now the biggest issue with Brad Knighton, which is weird to say because I don't think that's necessarily been a, a concern around Brad Knighton's game ever. Uh, you know, he's not going to be an elite goalkeeper that's going to make crazy saves that's, you know, otherworldly. And that's OK. You don't need that. You need a, a dependable uh, keeper in net. And I think that's pretty much what Brad Knighton provides for you. Most of the time tonight was not that night. I think the first goal, he definitely could have done better. I think, you know, there's the whole Matt Turner saves that meme, but I do think Matt Turner would have saved that. Uh, it looked like Nathan had a Nathan had a, a late jump on it and, um, which is why he couldn't get to it. It wasn't, a, you know, a very strongly hit, uh, hit shot. I mean, I guess it was a little strong, but still that not too much for a, a professional goalkeeper to be able to save. And then, um, that third goal, man, that's uh, he's going to want that one back. He's going to have nightmares about that. Yeah, I mean, him him and Earl Edwards have gotten their share of, of games this season. Both of them have had some some howlers that um, un- unfortunately have ended up costing the revs. So it's it's tough. But <laughs> the revolution now have, what, five, five goalkeepers on the first team roster? So uh, interesting to see how uh, until Matt Turner leaves anyways, interesting to see how that that plays out in the uh, near and long term future. Um, as I said, we do have a lot of listener questions. Before we jump into those, I did want to take a quick minute to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, Galaco Kits. Galaco Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. If you head to GalacoKits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP. That's REVSRECAP at checkout for 15% off your order. Again, that's Galaco, G-O-L-A-C-O, Kits.com. And if you're looking to for some retail therapy after that very disappointing revolution loss, uh, but just don't know what to get, uh, my recommendation is check out their surprise kit options. And you can, uh, if you don't know what you want to buy, just get a surprise kit and they will surprise you with something really cool. And again, use Revs Recap as your code at checkout to get 15% off. With that, you have a very, very long list of questions. So we will jump right into it. Chris, you ready? Uh, I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. First up, Josh and I on Twitter. How is that panic meter? Uh, it's, I, I said this two weeks ago when we had Hayden bird on, I said the panic, the panic button is on, it's on the desk. Right. But I still have the case on it right now. I think I got the keys out and I'm, I'm getting ready to open that case. I'm not hitting it yet. Look, this team has still got a lot of moving pieces as far as players coming in and out. There's new signings that are hopefully coming in to make some sort of impact. The team looks like it's building towards the right direction. I saw a lot of confident play tonight uh, as far as passing possession goes. Uh, so there's a lot of positive signs. I am very concerned with allowing three goals. Uh, so many, th- I don't know how many times it is has been this year, but that's too many times to allow three goals and 
such a short season so far. I think it's uh, four or five times at least that three goals have gone in. Um, so that's my big concern right now. It's not so much on the attack. It's 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 more how do we how, how does the revolution go about stopping allowing three goals a match? Uh, and I think that's the big big concern. I'm still not quite panicking, but I'm I'm getting closer to it. Yeah, and and I maintain they've been losing games to bad teams for the most part. DC is not a good team. I mean, yes, they have the new coach, the interim coach bump, but they're not a good team. And they were missing Ola Kamara, their their scorer. Who DC had scored seven goals going into this match, and four of them had come from Kamara, who didn't play. So they they matched their non Kamara goal total <laughs> in the first half of this game. Um, that's that's really bad um, with a and, newcomer, but still, yeah, but it's, it's again, yeah, that's true, but still. Um, and you know, they gave up three goals to Miami, which is not a good team. Um, you know, they gave up three goals to Charlotte, which is, you know, playing better, but also not a good team in my mind. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's disappointing that they're, that they're losing and, you know, they've had injuries and they had excuses, but it's, it's not just that they're losing, it's that they're not losing to good teams. You know, this isn't, this isn't losing to Seattle. Um, so that's something they gave up three to Salt Lake at home. Right. Right. And, And if you want to talk about. The panic button. I, I'm with you. I think the cover's off, and I'm getting close to pressing it. Um, and but we look at the upcoming schedule. They're playing a home game against Miami. You know that's a game they should easily win. They're playing a home game against Columbus. Columbus has been struggling a lot this season. That's a game they should win. They're playing a home game against Cincinnati after. Well, that's that's the Open Cup. Um, but you know that's a game they should win too. So you look at these next three games at home. Um, that should be three wins. And if that ends up being two losses. Um, out of those three, then you got to hit the panic button, right? At that point, um, because yeah. this is not a this is not a, the hard part of the schedule. This is the easy part of the schedule right now. So, <laughs> and again, I think the the point to really focus on is that it's it's a lot of defensive issues. Revs are tied for second in goals four in the East, so it's the goals are there. It's more of how do we how, how do you stop the bleeding? I don't have the answer for that. Hopefully, Georgi Petrovic is going to be the answer because I think he is the long-term solution. I I just don't know. I, I don't have a lot of answers for that. It, it, it's close to just panicking, and that's that's all you can really do. If the Revs cannot seem to, to shore up the back line and, and stop the ball from hitting the back of their net, it's time to start panicking and it start to start throwing crazy ideas out like, fire bruce do something else but I, i'm still not quite there i i want to give this team a li- little bit more of a chance you know this is a support, supporter shield winning team from last year uh and I, in my eyes i think overall they've gotten better but uh, defensively they haven't changed much and i think that's that's really showing yeah, and uh, Sam Minton from the best Bent Musket asked, well, what, did, what did Carles say to Bruce? I think that was right after the third goal. Carles Hill ran over to, to Bruce Arena and said something. They asked Bruce, uh, I think Tom Quinlan asked Bruce Arena after the game what it was, and uh, Bruce Arena unsurprisingly said that was between us and I'm not going to comment on it. Um, but I think he, he alluded that it was you know something related to tactics, unsurprisingly. But any uh, any clever thoughts on what Carles said to Bruce? <laughs> no, uh, but... I'm kind of glad that he said something because he I'd be upset if I was Carlos too. I mean, he's out there. Uh, one of the things Bruce mentioned is saying that uh, Carlos is not getting the support that he needs. Right. So that's one of the things that when they were talking something to that regard where where, where Carlos needs more support out there. So it, it could be Carlos just getting mad like 
they're ha- they're hacking me down. I don't know. I mean, we're just totally speculating what is what's he, what was he saying, but I don't know. Uh, he does he he's right though. Like Carlos needs more support out there, and that's one of the reasons I'm saying I want to see Gustavo Bo back is that that's going to provide some support, that's going to provide some relief, some some room for Carlos to to operate. Um, but no, I mean, I I, I couldn't have a, a realistic guess as to what what words were actually exchanged when and, and last year early on in the season it became kind of a joke how often um people were asking adam books if he was frustrated and and adam books got frustrated about asking if he's being frustrated but carlis heel has been really frustrated this season at least at least from from uh what, what you can see so i think he's the one that needs to be asked now how frustrated he is um <laughs> and you, you know you saw it again here he was clearly very frustrated and you know bruce arena has been slow to adjust sometimes in games this season i'll say whether it's you know making substitutions or changing things tactically um so you know i agree with you that carlos needed to say something i don't know if bruce you know went ahead and adjusted anything you did see um henry kessler start warping up shortly after that that, that might have happened anyways but uh you know it was it was interesting and maybe carlos told him to pull omar but I, my guess is is carlos told him you know to make some adjustments on offense and you know find ways to keep possession more because whatever they were doing wasn't working um yep. so who knows? <laughs> um, no one. I mean, they yeah. do, I guess. And uh, Alex Dolan, photographer for the Bent Musket, brought up the uh, the bird, which was one of the few entertaining parts of the match from a Rebs perspective as the, the bird that flew onto the field that Brad, Brad Knighton helped guide off the field. Um, he wants to know what we should name it. He was thinking Waka Flocka and Flyza Minnelli was his close second. I think those are two pretty good ones. I don't know if you can top that, Chris. No, don't they? I don't know if you can call it Waka Flocka. We weren't in Atlanta, so... Uh, maybe Flaza Minnelli is going to be the one that that takes it takes it away. I, I, I like it, and shout out to to Alexander Dolan on that. And uh, Revs fan ninety four says, "Where does the defensive depth come from? It's, if it's not from Omar and it's not Bell, then where? Good luck with that one, Chris." <laughs> I, I don't have an answer. I, I hit the panic button on that question. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes from outside the team. Yeah, I mean, if, if Kessler's hurt, they need to have a better option. I mean, honestly, I, I would rather see... I don't want to see AJ De La Garza as the option, but I'd rather see him than Omar right now as a center back. Um, but, you know, they, they need to bring somebody else, and it's not good enough, clearly. Um, I You know, I'd rather see Bell than Omar. I don't think Bell's been good this year when he's had the opportunity, but I'd still rather see him than Omar if he's healthy. Um, but really, the, the depth needs to get better, and I think you kind of need to write Omar off at this point. Um, as far as a legitimate third option, I'm ready to see Ben Ravino come up here. I, what's what's the kid made of? Uh, maybe he's got something to offer. I don't know. Otherwise, yeah, it's summer transfer window. What's going to happen? Something needs to happen. Um, yeah, it's 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 rough right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, on that note, Till Forever says, agree or disagree with the following statement. Omar is the problem. Uh, he caveats with that with, I realize the answer is more complex, but if I wanted complexity, I wouldn't be rage tweeting. And then <laughs> seriously, seriously, though, what should we do on D given the people we have? I mean, it depends on what the problem is that you're talking about, right? Because I don't think that there's just one problem. But if you are talking about the back line, yeah, Omar is the problem, I think. Uh, he doesn't fit. He's not. He's, you've, you brought it up about how the fullbacks are bombing up the field. They're more like wingbacks. There's no support. And in that sort of system, you can't have a player like Omar Gonzalez. He does not fit the way that Bruce Arena is trying to play. Uh, he's putting a, a square peg into a round hole. Uh, Omar Gonzalez is the problem when it comes to the back line. I'll 100% be on board with that statement right now. Um, what should we do 
on D, I mean, I think the answer is Andrew Farrell, Henry Kessler, uh, and say some prayers. <laughs> because if they, either of them get hurt, it, there's no good backup solution. Unless we're looking to the summer transfer window, something needs to happen. I, I still think there needs to be more depth, and I don't think I'm alone in that statement at all. Uh, there needs to be another another quality, dependable center back. I, in past years, you know, we've had players like Jaleel and Ibaba coming off the bench, um, and I thought that's the type of player you're looking for. Uh, Antonio De La Mea coming off the bench. I know Tony was a starter for a little while too, but those type of players are, are, are guys that can do the job when asked but not necessarily reliable week-in, week-out starters. And and that's the type of player you need to find. Uh, Some sort of MLS vet somewhere around, I think, is probably the way to go. But, uh, you know, given Bruce Arena's track record, he's probably just going to go find some other old uh, U.S. men's national team center back. I don't know. Yeah, and and, and I think, you know, I I don't – if I want to be generous to Omar, I think – if he was the guy in that, you know, Giuliani Baba role or the Antonio DiLeo role you mentioned on a team that was playing maybe a, you know a four-five-one with a couple of defensive midfielders and with fullbacks that weren't relied on relied on to, to be the entirety of the width of the team, that maybe he would be serviceable in that role. But he's not serviceable in the way Bruce Arena plays. I'm not going to go back to my earlier point, but you know he's he's not. And so I think you need a player like an Andy Baba that you know is, is more mobile and um, you know can cover more ground. Um, yeah. So uh, you know. Right now, the the answer on D, like you said, is is you hope and pray that Henry Kessler stays healthy and Andrew Farrell stays healthy because your other options are are very problematic, um, you know, and and maybe Bruce Arena needs to change the entire lineup to help compensate for the fact that the the defense isn't good enough, um, but I, I don't know if that's the answer. Uh, you know, they need uh, you to bring said it like in. if if there was more support, he'd be better. But then if you have a center back out there that needs more support. Why the hell is that center back out there? Why right. is what is Omar Gonzalez adding to this team right now? I don't have the answer. I don't think there's anything he's adding. I don't. I, I'm getting worked up, but it it really is like frustrating to watch this team with a, I think a ton of potential. I I just I feel like a lot of it's going to waste because you have defenders like Omar Gonzalez. It's more than just what we've talked about tonight. It's other matches that he's played in where he can't hold the offside line straight. He has let players go off offside or that would normally be offside. He's kept them onside several times. And a lot of that's because he lacks the speed or the agility to really catch up. So he's playing ahead of them. The rest of the back line is playing higher. And now everyone's out of position. Just because Omar Gonzalez is lacking the agility uh, and the pace, it, it, it's just mind-boggling to see him get out there week in and week out. Uh, Bruce looks like he might have like realized how bad a decision it is to have him out there tonight and made that switch at halftime. I, I'm still just kind of like fuming about it and just I don't. I I'm also upset because I was here at the beginning of the the season saying Omar's a good signing. Uh, and he has proved me so wrong. Um, I thought that there was going to be a lot more that he would add. I also didn't think he'd be starting in the standard four-back where the full-backs were going to be bombing ahead. But I, I, I don't know. I, I just I, – I'm upset with myself for thinking <laughs> that he was going to be better than he is. Yeah, and the only other thing I'll add is, is something that I mentioned earlier too is the you know part of the defensive problem is the goalkeeper too. And, and you know, yes. Matt Turner, like we mentioned, you know, 
really developed the chemistry with the defense and was good at commanding his box and missing him too, um, you know, compo- compounds the issue. And that, that is certainly part of the problem as well. So, you know, getting him healthy and out there for the few, the very few months we have left with him in new England, um, is, is another thing that will help. And then I think hopefully that, you know, Petrovic can, can step up and, you know, maybe be his replacement, um, you know, instead of Edwards and, and Brad Knight and is, is part of that as well. Uh, but that's a, that's a lot of ifs. So <laughs> there's a lot, of, a lot of hoping and praying that goes on with uh, what, what the solution to the D is until they bring in more reinforcements. Yep. On that same note, John Pilkington on Twitter says, I know you have the power. Can we never see Omar again? <laughs> I don't think we need to add anything to that, but I, I, I don't think we quite have that power. Do we no, just? I think you overestimate <laughs> us a little bit, John, but I appreciate, I appreciate where, what you're coming from. And then uh, Andrew Yee on Twitter says, how does the curse of the crayon flag get broken right now? Is it the curse of the crayon flag or is it the curse of Carly's heel not wearing 22? Ooh. Interesting. That's what I want to know. Because <laughs> uh, everyone talks about, I want to see, I want to see the, the crayon flag again, but I want to see Carly's heel wearing number 22 again. I don't know. <laughs> but maybe it does go back because as soon as the, the new logo was, uh, was released, the refs have only won two matches uh and both of those were this season so maybe it has something to do with the crown flag i don't know um bring it back i guess is the only way to do it or maybe wait 86 years like the red Sox. <laughs> oh man i don't know i don't know if ref fans quite have the patience to wait 86 years it's already been what 20 25 26 so <laughs> 40 more to go or no i can't even do math 60 more to go <laughs> Uh, David Sibillin on Twitter asks, can we dispel the illusion that the new kids are coming to save the Revs? People think Dylan Barrero will be Tejon and Petrovic will be Turner. Both Tejon and Turner took time to develop. The team's problems are much deeper roster-wise. Um, and just to, you know, as a, as a note there, Petrovic is now in training with the Revolution so that you know he should be available for them soon. And Dylan Barrero is now officially signed for the Revs, so shout out to Gus Lopez for being on top of that story from the beginning. Uh, but Chris, any thoughts on that statement that you know, we should dispel the illusion that the new kids are going to be able to save the Revs? Yes and no. So first, David, I absolutely love the, real, the realist take, I think. Uh, on, on this because yeah uh, Dylan Burrow is not going to be Tejon Buchanan he's going to bring in a different skill set for a different uh, a different use I mean maybe it's not a different skill set right it's it's a very similar skill set to what Tejon Buchanan had but they're different people you're going to get different results you're going to have different sort of uh, approaches to different circumstances so it, it's going to look different I, I it, Petrovic, right? Yeah, of course. He's not going to come in and be Matt Turner right away, and that's okay. So both of those things, I think, are okay. It's going to take time to develop both of them. Are they going to come in instantly and be game changers? Probably not. Possibly. Yeah, absolutely possibly. I don't know if it's time that we dispel any illusions. Um, right now, I think it's hope. And that's all. <laughs> As a Revs fan, all we really have right now to, to, to lay on is hope that things are going to get better. That's where I am, and if things aren't getting better, and if that hope starts going away, you know, hope is the only thing keeping me from hitting that panic button that everybody, every single week, has been asking about. Um, where's that panic button? And and it's hope right now that's keeping me on. And if uh, if Dylan Barrero and and uh, Georgie Petrovich don't pan out, don't seem to be the answers that the Revolution need for this season, yeah, I'll be panicking. Um, but yeah, I just don't think there's any illusion that they're going to be the saviors to the season. I think that there's there's a lot of hope 
that they are going to add a spark to this otherwise really flatlining team. Yeah, just a, two things to add here. Um, you know, one being when guys come from foreign leagues in the middle of the season, you know, it often takes time to adjust. So I do think, you know, realistically that the hope is more that they'll be the players that you want next year than this year. Um, you know, there are exceptions to that, but generally that's what happens. But one other thing that I want to point to kind of counteract what David is saying is, you know, comparing them to Tejon and Turner isn't really fair. You know, Turner is a guy that started playing soccer really late in his career um, and needed a lot of time. He wasn't a finished product when he got to MLS. He needed a lot of time to develop. You know, Petrovic was a guy that went through, you know, all sorts of played lots of years in academies and grew up in a European system where he should be much closer, even at his young age, um, to a, a product that's ready to play at the top level. Um, you know, than Matt Turner, he's already ex- got a lot of experience, you know, uh, playing at a top level. So I, you know, I think he's he's a guy that will need time to adjust to MLS. But, you know, as far as quality and you know skill set, that should be a lot more developed than Turner was when he came to the Revs. And the same thing with Barrero. Barrero, you know, grew up in Santa Fe's academy, one of the top three teams in Colombia, has been playing in the Brazilian Serie A. Not that many minutes, but Brazilian Serie A is the best league in the Americas. It's a better league than MLS. So he's been playing at a higher level than MLS. And again, it's going to take some time to adjust. But comparing him again to Tejan, who's a guy that went through the U.S. college system and didn't have, you know, very good player, but it was very raw when he came to the revolution. These two guys should be more developed than Turner and Tejan when they come to the reps. So it's more about adjusting to MLS than it is about, you know, becoming professional soccer players. They already are professional soccer players. They already have been playing in, in you know, quality leagues. Um, so I don't think those are good comparison, but I do think it's real, you know, realistically that, you know, expecting them to be saviors this season, um, is probably asking for too much. Um, and then, you know, Josh and I had another question on Twitter. He wants to know why this team can't mark defenders. Communication, man. Right. Uh, it's, if they just don't look comfortable playing together and there's been so much rotation on that back line, whether it's, uh, uh Ryan Spaulding playing left back and, uh, Dewan Jones playing right back or that rotating door at center back between John Bell, Andrew Farrell, uh, Henry Kessler, and uh, uh, Omar Gonzalez. I forgot his name. Thank God for a minute there. But um, it's just that rotating door just going on. There's This team doesn't have any sort of communication, it seems. And I don't, I don't really know why. You see it. They get frustrated and they get in pressure with each other. And rightfully so. Uh, I think... A lot of it is you're trusting someone else to be somewhere where they are not, where someone else is trusting that you're going to be there. It, it's just fundamentals and basics of playing the game and just not having the communication to be there. And it might even come all the way back to, to goalkeeper, right, where the goalkeeper sees the whole field. The goalkeeper is somewhat responsible to making sure that every runner coming in is marked. The goalkeeper needs to let these defenders know, hey, uh, watch the striker coming down the right or whatever it is. Right? It's really lackadaisical example there, but that's that's what needs to happen on the back line. And I don't know. Brad Knighton's very experienced. I would assume that he's doing that. Uh, so maybe it's not him. Maybe it's just really poor defending. You mentioned. Uh, as part of your key takeaway, how Omar Gonzalez is just completely no awareness. And I would agree with that statement completely. Maybe that's part of what it is. It's just lack of awareness. And that's something that you just can't fix. Not for a player like Omar Gonzalez anyway. So it's 
just a, a lack of awareness and uh, possibly some miscommunication from goalkeeper position. But ultimately, it comes down to the rotation at the back line. You know, and it's not just Brad Knighton. It was also Earl Edwards Jr. for a while, too. So every single position on that back line has been rotated constantly so far this season. Uh, and you don't build good chemistry by changing players and changing positions. And, of course, it was all done out of necessity, not for fun. Bruce isn't trying to play musical chairs on the back line, on, you know, as a hobby. But when you do that, you kind of end up getting results like this. Yeah, just, I mean, just the hope is when you have a guy like Omar that's got as much experience so that that makes up a bit for the having to rotate because, you know, the leadership that you think would be there it would, would help with that. But obviously hasn't so far. But otherwise, no, nothing to add with to what you said. Well, and um, I wanted to see John Bell out there a bit more, too, because I, I think he had a, a couple poor performances at the beginning of the year or earlier this year. We're still in the beginning of the year. But uh, after I think that one really bad game where he came out on Twitter and owned up to his mistakes. I, I don't remember the circumstances specifically because I'm just spitballing right now, but he came out on Twitter saying, hey, my bad, I will do better. And that's the sort of leadership that you kind of need. You need someone to step up and say, yeah, I messed up. Take accountability for their actions. I haven't seen Omar Gonzalez do that. Maybe he did while we we're recording this. Doubtful. Uh, but you kind of need that. And why hasn't John Bell got another shot out there? If if Henry Kessler and Andrew Farrell are both not ready to go, I want to see John Bell be the next man up right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you. Uh, Nicholas Lazar on Twitter asks, how much turnover does this bench need during the summer transfer window? <laughs> a lot. A lot, a lot. Right? Uh, well, not the bench, not the whole thing. I think you're okay in the midfield right now. You just brought in Barrero, so that's going to add some depth to your midfield. I think you already have Arno Tristesen, who's not a game changer, but he's not going to lose you a game. Uh, and he can provide some some magic off the bench, I think, once in a while. So I think he's okay there. Emma Boateng is going to be on the bench. Tommy Mack going to be on the bench. Uh, so in midfield, I think you're okay. For strikers, maybe you need a little bit. You're still going to have Josie Altidore, who's essentially your third striker, and then Justin Rennicks as a fourth striker, or maybe their 3A and 3B. That's not terrible. I think that we'd be okay with that, right? Assuming that Gustavo Bo gets healthy and gets back out there. It's all coming back to the defense again, and that seems to be the the storyline of this whole podcast is the defense. Um, there needs to be a lot done as far as adding depth to this defense. I think there needs to be some sort of trade within MLS. It's the easiest way to get things done. It's the quickest way to get things done, and it's the best way to work with Garber Bucks and international roster spots and yada 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 just find a team out there that's looking to get rid of a defender i mean i make it sound a lot easier than it is but that's kind of where my head is at find a team looking to offload a defender maybe a team looking to possibly overhaul their roster at the end of the season and see what you can get make an offer we know the refs have plenty of uh plenty of money uh they should have plenty of allocation money available right now uh they might even Correct me if I'm wrong on this. I, I think the last time I counted international spots, they had they were only using seven of eight, uh, and that was I think a week ago. I'd, and that was I'd, I'd have to look Barrero, again. But... I have to look again because they have Barrero and Petrovic, um, but now Kiz is not taking one. Yep. I'd, uh, and there's been controversy whether or not Martial is an international 
constantly that we have always have trouble clarifying. I think I think the answer is that he's not. Um, but I'd have to look at that again. At, at most, they have one, but right. I'm not I'm not positive. So I mean, if they have one, even you know, that's still like that's a, that's a trade chip. That's a that's a bargaining chip. Just use that and manipulate the system to your advantage. I, I don't know. That's kind of where my head's at. That's where I would like to see the team go. Maybe they go somewhere else. Um, but I think bringing in someone that's already comfortable playing in the league, someone that's maybe been playing in the league um, it, consistently, and uh, not someone like an Omar Gonzalez, but someone that is still kind of in the prime. Brigid, or you know, maybe nearing the end of their prime. I don't care. That's That's kind of where I want to go. The name that always pops in my head, and I don't know why... I think it's just a fun name to say, Lalas Abubakar. Um, uh, bring him here. That's totally fine. He's with what Colorado. Yeah, they're probably not looking to offload a defender right now, but I don't care. Um, just uh, just bring it a, a, some sort of MLS defender that's not going to take a year to adjust. Yeah, and then Matt Forrester asked if they were to sign another center back, who would be a realistic target. So you threw one out there. Um, so I'll cover that question now. I don't, I don't really have anything to add there. Um, I'm one thing I will say is I, I actually am going to take a, a a harder stance on on this question and, and say that the Revolution need a complete overhaul of their bench um, for a few reasons. I, I just don't think. Well, I guess there's there's a couple couple questions here too. Is you know where does the Revolution starting lineup eventually shake out? Um, because if Emmanuel Boateng is on the bench, you know, he's a guy that can come off the bench and change a game. If he's starting, you don't really have a guy that can come into that midfield that you think can give you an offensive spark. Like if you look in this game today, who are you bringing off the bench to give your midfield an offensive spark? And Rivera came in and played pretty well. So maybe that's the answer. Um, I I thought he had a good game. I thought he was one of maybe the, one of the lone bright spots. Um, but one game is not enough for me to say that, you know, he's going to be the answer as kind of your spark off the bench in that situation. So I think the hope is that, you know, Boateng goes back to the bench Barrera starts and then you have that that little bit of a spark um but I'd still like to see more options you know there's not really a replacement for Postal. we think Maciel could be that guy um you know he hasn't been healthy I'm not sure yet that he can be that guy um as I mentioned last the last episode you know Postal is one yellow card away from suspension um you know it's going to be very difficult to replace him when when that happens assuming it does so, you know, I think that's I think there is room to improve the the depth in midfield. You know, Tristison's a serviceable player, but you know, if they're paying him a lot of money for what they're paying him. I think you'd like to see somebody that can have more of an impact. I'm not um, paying him as much as Captoom though. That's that's true and Captoom yeah. seems to be completely useless. So, you know, I, I don't know how much flexibility there is um to bring guys in and fix that. Um, but I would like to see them have better options in midfield. Uh, we talked about center back. I'm not going to talk about that again. I, I don't think the, re- the options at right back um, beyond Brandon Bay are good enough. I don't think moving Dewan Jones to right back, having your starting left back become your right back replacement makes any sense. Um, you know, I, and I don't think AJ De La Garza can, can fill in for what Brandon Bay does at this point in his career. So, you know, that's not good enough. And, you know, the striker situation, um, you know, let's say best case scenario, Adam Books is here all year and Gustavo Bo is healthy. Um, there's still a question mark of what Josie Altidore can bring to this team. I'd like to think that he gets healthy and gets informed and can be that third option. Um, but if it, you know, if it ends up being that he's behind Justin Rennicks, I'm not sure that that's a good enough option. So I really think there needs to be a complete overhaul because there's too many g- games this season where, you know, yes, the revolution have injuries, but you look to the bench to change the game and there aren't really guys to do it. Um, and you know, that's why you get a game like today where, uh, you know, Bruce doesn't use his fifth sub, even though the Reds are trying to push forward. You know, where is that? What if, if Edward Kizza was that guy that could, you know, come off the bench and at least 
provide another scoring option, you'd probably have them there and throw them into a game like this when you're pushing really late and DC has, you know, seven guys in the box. Um, so I think, I think across the board, the bench needs to be an over, overhauled and I don't think they're going to be able to do it just this summer. I think it's more of a, you know, make a few adjustments this summer and then, and the off season really, you know, is, is Tristis in here next year is cap to him ne- here next year. Um, and what can you do with that money? Yep. 100%. Uh, Frank Lamos on Twitter, who apparently uh, is a co works with, at the Independent with Trent Krim, uh, wants to know what positives we can take from this loss. Is it time to give Jackson a shot net? Do we continue to attempt to be goldfish, or do major changes need to be made? And then thoughts on Boateng remaining a sub. For, personally, I feel he impacts more in that role. Uh, positives do we take away? I think the team looked okay in possession. I think they looked pretty good in build-up play. Um, they weren't finishing the build-up play, but you know they were actually showing quite a bit of it. I think, especially in the second half, DC was allowing a lot of that build-up play, so kind of take that with a grain of salt. Uh, they weren't necessarily playing for their own attack; they were just kind of absorbing the Revolution's attack. Um, but that's that's kind of my positive, is I thought that the passing was pretty good. I think what is it, 87% passing on the night? Let me just double-check that number. But um, yeah, the passing I thought was good and the possession i mean that those are the two things this that's kind of where it ends um i would have liked to see i, I mean maybe that so many shots that they had it was the 21 shots that they had would have been nice to see more than two goals i keep trying to turn up say a positive and it keeps turning into a negative uh so i apologize frank but uh is it time to give jackson a shot in net i'm gonna go to that question next and say uh no i think petrovich is probably next in line uh I like the idea of what Jackson might bring for the future of the club, but uh, I think uh, now that Petrovic is here, I think he's the next one to go in. Goalkeeper, it's one new goalkeeper versus another. I think you got to put the the higher profile keeper in. Um, Before I go on, did you have any other comments, Sean? No, I, I agree with everything you said, and I think the hope is that I mean, my two positives, I'd say, you know, Damian Rivera, I thought looked good on oh, the good bench, point. Yeah. and and the Revolution, um, it was good to see them show fight at the end of this game and you know try to get the tie. They didn't give up, so those those are my two positives. But uh, and end goal, I completely agree with you, and I think the hope is that you know Matt Turner is back soon, and he's kind of the bridge to Petrovic being ready, and then Jackson you know continues to see minutes in Revs two to de- to develop to you know to see what he can be in the future. Yeah, and then so to answer the other questions though. Uh, we kind of did talk about, right, our major changes needed. So uh, I guess I think there's less changes than are needed than you do, Sean, but I, I agree with your points at the same time. So I find myself in a difficult situation. Um, but thoughts on the, the Boateng remaining a sub. Um, I still think his best value is as a sub, but I think he needs to be brought on earlier than Bruce normally makes that sub. I don't want to see Emma Boateng as the 80th minute sub when you're down two goals. I think Emma Boateng is better coming in at the 60th minute when you're looking for a goal. Yeah, completely agree. And you know, the only caveat is he's, he's starting right now because every other option has not been good enough. And yes, um, you know, and it, maybe Barrero, hopefully Barrero replaces him in the starting lineup eventually. Um, and he becomes a sub because I do agree he's better as a sub. And I also agree with Chris that he needs to come in sooner than Bruce has been putting him in. But right now, the other options in midfield just haven't been good enough. So, you know, and, until they are, I think he he continues to be a starter. Um, but you know, who, who knows? We'll see what happens there. But I, I agree. I like I like him and his pace coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Paulo S on Twitter asks, why do some people not criticize certain players like Poster who handed DC the ball on a plate, yet it's Omar's fault we concede? Doesn't make sense. Be objective. Buxa not passing to a wide open gill. The Jet missing that header. Many deserve criticism aside from Brad and Omar. I think we'd both agree with that, right, Chris? The, yeah. What I would say here is that, you know, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Adam Buxa, for example. He ended up scoring a goal. So he, you know, he had a really good impact in this game in one way where, you know, he he had one bad play, but he did something really good to make up for it. You know, I think we talked about Legette not living up to, you know, the impact that we've wanted to see from him. Um, but he does have some positive plays during a game. It's It's easy to, you know, criticize Omar, for example, because Omar has had several bad plays in a game and hasn't really found a way to make up for it. Um, you know, Brad Knighton has had some good games, some bad games, but I think Omar, you know, stands out as a guy that's been consistently pretty bad for the Rebs. So that's why he takes the brunt of the criticism. Uh, but I don't, I don't think, I think you could pick out any player from on the revolution in this game and find something to critique in that performance. Uh, even Carlos heel, I thought, you know, his, this season, his set piece service has been inconsistent. You know, he, he got an assist today on his set pieces, but I think overall his set piece service, you know, hasn't been consistent enough and that's hurt the revolution. Um, and there's been times this season where he's played too slow and cost the revolution chances. So, you know, I think any guy in this team deserves criticism. He mentioned Polster. Um, you know, you and I were talking before the show. Uh, you know, I don't think Polster's been as good this year. And, you know, you mentioned that part of that is Bruce is relying on him even more, which I think is true. Um, but I certainly don't think Polster's had as good of a, a season as he did last year, um, where he was, you know, earning accolades as one of the best defensive midfielders in the league. I don't think he's been that this year. You know, and again, part of that I think is Bruce's system. Um, but, you know, nobody on this team is beyond criticism. You know, everybody in this game, um, you know, I, I could pick out something to criticize for yeah i mean we talked before jumping on on recording this we were talking about all the players trying to find something uh, something positive to take away from the game um and we were really kind of having a hard time that's why i think we we talked about uh damian rivera as one of the bright points um so i'm glad that you did bring that up on that last question as well because we did talk about tico and thought he had a pretty good performance overall he wasn't necessarily very involved, but when he was getting involved, he was good. But every other player, I think, had some issues. Even, you know, Carles Hill, like you're saying, he had the his his crosses on set pieces weren't necessarily that at that level that we expect from Carles Hill. But not only that, I think he had several passes that he tried tonight that he attempted to really force what would have been an awesome pass, but it's getting into intercepted, right? He's picking out really difficult passes to make and he's just not making them and instead he's turning the ball over um so there's there's definitely a negative to say i think just about every single player on the roster and even i think dewan jones we haven't mentioned him at all but i thought he had a relatively poor night uh for his standard um uh, as it goes overall you know today i think maybe one of the people that we haven't mentioned that i thought did well was andrew farrell i didn't have a whole lot of negatives to say about him which is kind of weird when you have three goals against um but maybe that's just because uh any negatives that he had was being over overshadowed by omar gonzalez but when you look at the you know if, uh, if you look at the foot mob stats it's really glaring to see you have one center back at a 5.4 uh omar gonzalez one center back at a 7.4 uh two point difference which is massive uh and of course brad knighton with the 3.7 which is like i think that's the lowest rating i might have ever seen on foot mob um but no, we've—I think we've given plenty of uh, criticism around, and I think it's definitely well deserved. Uh, what other pieces? Uh, Sebastian Legette, I think, aside from 
mentioning when Omar Gonzalez failed to hit Sebastian Legette on a pass early on in the game. We haven't talked about Sebastian Legette tonight. And I think that in itself is its own negative because Sebastian Legette needs to be more involved. He needs to be talked about more. Uh, and the fact that he's not getting in more involved is definitely an issue. You know, he had 46 touches on 75 minutes played tonight. Uh, and for a midfielder that, you know, when you're when you have 80, 68 percent possession, you need to have a lot more touches than that. Yeah. And you know, Sebastian Lejet is an interesting one um, because he should be your second most creative guy on this roster, or at least on this lineup after Carlos Hill. And he had a total of zero key passes um, in this one. Carlos Hill had seven. Dewan Jones had four. Brandon Bay had four. Sebastian Lizette had zero. And that's to me, that's not really acceptable from a guy of his quality and what you expect from him. Um, so yeah, he, he definitely didn't have a great game, um, on the season, he's only averaging 0.4 key passes per game. Um, and you know, he came in saying, you know, I'm going to be that central attacking midfielder player, you know, next to Carlos Hill. And, um, we haven't seen as much creativity out of him as I think any of us expected or, or hoped for. So, um, you know, <laughs> no one on this team is beyond criticism. You know, you mentioned Andrew Farrell had a pretty good game. Um, he probably could have prevented that third goal if he handled that ball, that initial ball, um, a bit better when it came into him. You know, he yep. you know, basically hit it right to the guy. So, um, he's not beyond fault, uh, either, you know, yeah. although he did every uh, player by comparison, a slice of blame, but <laughs> yeah. I think Gonzalez and Knighton take the cake. Yeah, I, I, that's that's where it lands for me. Um, you know, again, no, nobody was perfect in this game. That's for sure. Yep. Um, I, anyway, I, I give saying, give some to Bruce too. Oh yeah, Bruce Arena deserved a lot of criticism for you know this whole season. I think, and yes. you know his inabi- inability to make adjustments, and that leads to the next question. Uh, any Revs fans on Twitter says are the Revs the most telegraphed team in the league? I can tell you the style of play they're going to use for the next X, Y, and Z games. Yeah, uh, it is very predictable. Um, as soon as you see the lineup, you kind of know what to expect. And then they go out there and they do kind of what you what you think is going to happen, right? Um, they don't have a whole lot of, I don't know what the right word is, but a, a dynamicism, is that a word? I'm making it up if it's not. They're not very dynamic. And that maybe that's the, the Tejan effect, right? So last year you have Tejan Buchanan, who is a very dynamic player, who can play all over the place and really shake things up and and – make you unpredictable he's a very unpredictable player the Revs definitely don't have a player like that on their roster you know you look at the strikers that they went with and even if Renix uh didn't get the start and it was Altidore instead you're still going to know what to get from those two strikers Books is not going to be surprising anyone Carlos Hill yeah he's a playmaker but you know what he's going to do at the same time he's going to get space he's going to create space he's going to find the open guy he's going to make a great pass and that's pretty much what he did all night the problem was that everyone else was also predictable, and so those great passes were a bit predictable as well. Polster, predictable. Every everybody, you know, telegraphed is a great word to to describe how this how this team lines up. Uh, it, it there's there's nothing secret about this roster. Well, and, and part of it's roster construction too, um, and that yeah. you know I talked about this at the beginning of the season about how you know in, in somewhat of a positive way about how Bruce was building the roster to really dig in and commit to the diamond. Um, 
But the diamond hasn't worked this year as well as it worked last year, even though, in theory, they have better pieces for it. And part of that is because Sebastian Legette hasn't been that box-to-box midfielder that you know helped maintain possession and contributed a lot to attack and also got back and defended in, in the way that I would have liked to have been. And part of that, too, is that you know Tommy McNamara on the other side hasn't been good enough and kind of lost the starting spot. Tristan got a chance. He wasn't good enough and kind of lost that spot when he had the chance. And Boateng... It's, you know, is very much in a sense a you know square peg in a round hole um, in this formation, and you know he's doing the best he can and can contribute on offense, but he's not perfect either. Um, so I think that's a lot of it too is the roster construction, and there's not a lot of ability to change things up because the roster isn't built to change things up. The roster is built for the diamond, and the diamond's not working. So what do you do? Um, so the rest are kind of in a problem in, in that sense. But yeah, it is predictable. Uh, Tim O'Brien on Twitter asks, instead of replacing Buxa, and this, again, assuming Buxa's gone, um, which I'm not sure he will be. I think he might be here through the end of the season. We'll see. Um, can we just get two U22 guys, a striker and a center back? And, and if you only have two designated players, you can have three U22 guys instead of right now when you have three designated players, you can only have one. So in theory, you could do that. What do, what do you think of the thought of replacing Buxa with two U22 guys instead of another DP? it's a great idea. I think, uh, if, especially if you have a bunch of cash burning a hole in your pocket, uh, it, it's the system's in place to be taken advantage of. And I think that the revs are, um, leaving a bit to be desired. You know, they have enough old players that I, I don't know why they need any more. Um, go get some more young talent and see what they can do for you. Uh, I'm, I'm on board for that. If books is gone, um, I, I can't see, how else that they they would spend that? Um, so yeah, I, Tim, I'm I'm on board with your suggestion. Striker and center back being the two options. Sure. Uh, normally, no for a center back for like a U22 like DP type player, but I think the Reds could really use some, some big time center back help. So I, I'm not even going to complain about it. I, I also agree with Tim. I like this idea. Um, but if I was a betting man, I bet Bruce gets another DP. Um, I just, it, it's not, it's never been Bruce's style to rely on young players. Um, I'm glad they went out and got Barrero. I think that was, you know, a, a great move. But I, I, I'm not convinced yet that that's a change of, you know, Bruce's style and that now all of a sudden he's going to rely more on young guys and that this is going to be the next move. I think he goes out and get another, gets another DP. Um, but personally, I think Tim's right. I would like to see them, you know, replace. Buxa with two U22 guys. Um, whether that's a striker and a center back, I don't know. That would make sense. But um, just in general, the thought of two U22 guys instead of a DP makes a lot of sense to me. Yep. Uh, Thor Von Brandon on Twitter asks, when do the Crafts fire Arena? And Macho on Twitter says, is Bruce on the hot seat? No. I, I mean, hot seat, maybe. I, I mean, it's warming up. But, like, I don't know. I mean, when have the Crafts cared so much about the Revs that – they're going to fire their coach or uh, I guess Bruce is more than just the coach right now, but uh, Bruce has done so much for this organization uh, in the positive light that one bad month, I mean, it's been atrocious or it's been two months now, but uh, that doesn't necessarily take away from everything. And I think there's still quite a bit of trust and faith in Bruce that the graphs have that uh, he's not going to be getting fired anytime soon. Uh, maybe that's not necessarily the best way to handle business when it comes to, to the soccer world. But, you know, I mean, you saw Hernan Lasada got let go from DC just this past week, um, which I think was a huge mistake. Uh, but then again, who am I to say they came out and won tonight? So, uh, maybe, maybe that's what he needed. 
but I don't think I don't think Bruce is going anywhere anytime soon. He just signed an extension. Uh, I think the Crafts still have a lot of confidence in him and and see his vision and understand his pedigree and his his history when it comes to U.S. soccer as a in, in general. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think I don't think Arena's getting fired. Not unless this form continues. Uh, if he goes the whole season like this, maybe. But I mean, how long did Friedel get? So. Yeah, I think it would take something like a 10-game losing streak for them to consider it. Um, I think Arena's got a very long leash. He won the Supporters' Shield last year. He's He's been making the money with these transfers. Um, yeah. You know, I, I it's going to take a lot to get Arena fired. I think it would be multiple bad seasons. I, you know, honestly, if it if anything happens, I think the more likely scenario is that you know Arena's disappointed with how the season goes and decides you know maybe he doesn't want to keep doing this and retires after this year. That seems more likely to be getting fired to me. I, I can't I can't see Kraft firing Arena unless you know it's like a ten game losing streak or something really really bad that doesn't seem like it has an end in sight. And I think we're a long way from that. Randy LH on Twitter asked about Legette. He said, what happens to Legette? Seemed like he started the season well and has disappeared for the last month or more. Have tactics changed or is it just because our whole offense looks off? Such a, a tough question because I don't know. Like, really, he's just disappeared. I think that's a very good word to use. Uh, he, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm lost for words on this. Sean, do you have an answer? Because I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I can pick and choose games and find reasons for why he wasn't as effective. You know, games where the revolution don't have a lot of possession or playing on the counterattack, I can see. But overall, I don't know. I don't know what's happened to him. Um, I was, you know, positive on him at the beginning of the year and thought he got off to a good start. And I don't, I don't know why he's um, somewhat disappeared. But it's, you know, it's been part of the Revs' problem, that's for sure. Um, you know, and maybe not having a consistent partner on the other side of the diamond um, hasn't helped. But he needs to be better. Yeah, and it's simple. Uh, Matt Forrester on Twitter asked, given the poor defensive showing so far this season, do you think a switch to a 3-5-2 could help? Anything to keep Gonzalez off the pitch, I think, is going to help. So, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like the idea of a 3-5-2. I think that's a, it's a fun, different way to play. It's going to create some really exciting football to watch. But if we're talking long-term and try to succeed and get some get some W's, get some points on the table. Um, no, I don't think that's necessarily the way to go. You don't just change around your entire tactics. You got to kind of stick with what you got. Uh, you can't change it up if you're going to try to try to make a run for anything. And I think this team is poised to have a turnaround in the second half of the season, uh, hopefully sooner than that. Uh, but this team's probably going to be making the playoffs. I still think that um, I, I Maybe I've just doomed the team by predicting that, but um, no, I, I don't think switching to a three-five-two could really benefit the team at all. Um, if anything, I think you're going to go to to a five-three-two or a five-four-one, uh, and that's when you're playing with a lead and you need to bring in Omar Gonzalez as a third center back. Um, but otherwise, no. Yeah, I, I'm. I completely agree. I'm a big fan of the three five two. I loved it when you know Steve Nichol used that with the team. That was a very fun team to watch. But you need the right personnel for it. It's a very hard thing to pull off. You know, we don't have the Michael Parkhurst on this roster that can organize the defense and that, that cerebral type center back. Um, you know, you, you don't have 
the Shari Joseph and Jeff Lerunowitz that can be your you know dominant defensive midfielders in front of them that can you know really cover for the fact that you know you don't have fullbacks and that you know guys need to get four. It's it's, it's a very hard formation to pull off, and you need the right players, and they don't have that right now. Um, and you know again a three five two it's technically supposed to be three center backs in your back line. So that means more Omar, not less Omar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't, I don't think that helps things. I think it makes it worse. Um, again, I'm a fan of the three, five, two. I just don't think the revs have the personnel to pull it off. Um, I've heard people say, why don't you put Brandon by as a center back in a three, five, two? I, I, I don't know what you're seeing in Brandon by, um, that tells you you could do that. I, I think defensively, Brandon Bay still has a lot of weaknesses in his game. Um, and to try to put him as a, as a right center back, I don't like that idea. Um, you know, it, it just does, the personnel is not there for the revolution to do it. Um, and it's not just one player. I think the the midfield would need to change. You'd need, you know, a guy besides Polster that can play defensive midfield. I'm not sure Martial, Martial might be that guy. I'm not sure. Um, he needs to be healthy if he's going to be that guy. Um, and then the center backs is a whole other mess. And then, you know, your wingers are I, presumably going to be Brandon by playing more as a you know as a winger more forward which I guess he's kind of doing now and Dewan Jones doing that but um, it's more the center of the pitch that worries me if you try to do that and I don't think the Rose have the players to do it Dendone asks on Twitter uh, sorry to get back to Omar but we should have mentioned this earlier Dendone 29 <laughs> Den, Dendone 29 on Twitter asks does Bruce help himself uh, by cutting Omar the players seem to be losing faith in Omar and he looks like he can't run anymore uh, I'm sure I've seen Carlos tell Bruce to pull Omar thanks uh, we talked a lot about Omar. Does Bruce cut Omar? What do you think, Chris? I don't think it's that easy. I think it's going to be very expensive to do that. Uh, and I don't know if Bruce Arena has, I don't I, I don't know what the right word is for it, but the, I think he might be a bit too arrogant to admit that he was wrong and, and release a player like Omar. I think if anything, you might just see Omar slightly disappear into the background. Yeah, he's not, he's not getting cut. Um, no. You don't gain any salary cap relief by cutting him at this point in the season so you know he's all you gain is the roster spot so i mm-hmm. I, I can't see i can't see arena cutting him um but i i like the thought but it's not, i don't think it's going to happen um six stars any who has a another good revolution podcast if you haven't listened to it uh, on twitter ask are we concerned at all with the body language and cohesion of the team the constant complaining to and about officials arguing amongst each other we heard about great team culture but it looks like a distant memory what do you think chris yeah, um, I think body language is huge. Uh, it goes back and forth, though. So what the team's doing well, so the first half of the match, the body language looked good. The players looked to be very in sync and in tune with each other. Uh, I didn't have a lot of concerns. And then all of a sudden, the last 20 minutes of the first half, everything unraveled. And you could see them getting chippy with each other a little bit. You could see Carly's heel getting chippy uh, with Bruce Arena, uh, you know, as we mentioned earlier. So, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a concern. But at the same time, it's still these players, a lot of them, uh, uh, it's a lot of new players playing with each other, trying to feed each other out. And there's going to be miscommunications. You're going to get frustrated with each other. Uh, It's how you rebound from that that defines what the rest of the season is going to be like and what's going to go on. So, yeah, it, I think it's just natural. It's human nature to have bad uh, body language, uh, especially given how everything's going. And when things are not going well, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I think a lot of us are it's just in general life. You're going to have bad body language if you're in a bad mood. And if you're not winning, you're not going to be in a good mood. So I think that has something to play with it. But I, I would like to see 
them uh, sucking it up a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a great comment. I've been, you know, it's something I've noticed that, you know, there's a lot of complaining about the referees going on when things aren't going well. I agree when things are going great, <laughs> the, the body language is good and the chemistry seems to be there. But as soon as things start to go south, I have seen a lot more arguing with the refs, arguing about the refs, making excuses. Um, you know, even Bruce after the game's like, oh, it's not an excuse, but look at all their time wasting. Look at this. Like, yeah, you're still making an excuse, even though you say oh, it was not an excuse. Um, so I'm concerned about it. I do think that the team needs to, you know, just focus on winning and focus on finding ways to what, what they can do rather than, you know, what calls they're not getting because they're never going to be able to change that. Um, it's always frustrated me when we've seen that. I think we talked about that a few podcasts ago, but it always frustrates me when, when teams are complaining about their referees and you heard Bruce on the sideline a few times during the game, complaining about the referees or, or yelling at guys or, mm. you know, asking for fouls, um, you know, get up and get going and, you know, stop wasting time doing that. Um, I, I find it particularly frustrating and I, I do think it's a problem. Um, you know, and, and that has to change. And Carlos Hill in particular, um, you know, captain of the team and best player on the team, we have seen complaining a lot. You know, I, we talked about it being nice that or good that he went over and, and complained to Bruce and, and maybe got him to make a change or, or whatever. I think that was needed. But, you know, there was another time where he was complaining to the referee about time wasting while the revolution were making two subs like that. <laughs> you were not the play was not going to start any quicker. The Revs had two subs coming on and he was freaking out about time wasting. You know, there's a there's a time and a place and the more you do it, you know, the less effective it becomes. I mean, it's never really effective. Um, but, you know, I have seen too much of that this year. You know, you go back to the, the Salt Lake game where the Revolution were up 2 nothing, and he was freaking out about the weather. Um, you know, they had to play in the same weather. Stuff like that is is annoying and frustrating. And um, I'd like to see less of that and more of, you know, get up, pull yourself up and, and do something about it. You know, if, if you're getting fouled a lot, uh, beat them on set pieces. The Revolution did did today score on a set piece, but, you know, more of that, um, you know, play faster. Uh, Carly Seal, I think, is a guy that, you know, can play faster when he's when he's under a lot of pressure. I'd like to see more of that and, and less of the complaining. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, just two questions left, fortunately. It's been a long podcast, um, both coming from Eric on Twitter. Uh, first, he's getting a question he asked last week that we didn't get to. Um, Jones seems to have disappeared a bit this season. I feel we've seen a lot more of Bai, who's had some success, but he can't run around people the same way, so he's less dynamic. Where would Dewan go this season? Um, and there was some back and forth on Twitter about this question between Eric and, and Ben Softly. Uh, ben said he disagreed with this, that Jones has been one of the few bright spots this season, continues to look strong and improve, especially on, on attack. Um, I don't know where, where you come out on this one. You know, Eric clarify that he thinks Jones is still bright, but he thinks he's gone from having the most touches on the team to something far less. Um, and I thought, I thought Ben actually made a good point at, at the end of this where, um, you know, partnerships with wingers factor in there and with Boateng out there, Boateng might stay wider. Um, and of course, legit changes the balance too. And I just to, to jump in before I give it to you, I do think that, um, you know, with Boateng out there, as I mentioned, kind of not being the perfect fit for the diamond and being more of a wide player, that, that, that definitely impacts the way Jones has to play because, you know, both of them are more used to occupying kind of the wide space than, than cutting inside, I think. Yeah, and uh, as far as the debate between the two, I think I'm with uh, Ben Softly here where I think Dewan has been a bright spot. And I did mention earlier, I think that he had a bad game uh, tonight, but he still had uh, the most touches, I think, think of anyone on the revolution with 101 touches he still continues to be one of the most involved players on the team in attack in defense anything um if anything i think he's looked a bit slower this year than last year uh 
But otherwise, I think that he's still pretty much been him. And I think you're also coming into this with different expectations of what Dewan Jones is. Who is this player? What does he bring? What what are, what do we expect to see? Uh, I think last season, those expectations were rather low. And you're just kind of like, wow, that was a really good game from that Dewan Jones guy. Wow, Dewan Jones actually, is, uh, he's, he's pretty good. He keeps doing pretty good. Now we're out here, we're expecting Dewan Jones to be one of the best players every single night. And uh, the fact of the matter is that nobody's going to be the best player every single night. And I think Dewan Jones had an off night tonight. But overall, I still think he's been a bright spot of the season. Uh, and shout out to Ben for those points uh, about Emma Boateng and uh, Sebastian Legette being out there as well. I think that also is going to play a huge role uh, into how uh, Eddie Fullback succeeds. Um, who's playing in front of them, who are they playing with. And it's going to be very interesting to see where Barrero fits in on this roster as well and, and what that means for Dewan Jones going forward. But uh, I I don't think that there's much to worry about right now with Dewan Jones. I don't think he's been necessarily as good as last year, but I don't think he's been like far off from pace. Yeah. And it, it's hard to say the tactics, as you pointed out, have adjusted away from him um, as Eric said, because you know, he did have 101 touches this game. He did lead the team in touches. Brandon by had 76 touches, which is still a lot of touches, but you know, significantly less than Dewan Jones. So Dewan Jones is still, a focal point of the revolution's play. Um, and, you know, he had four key passes, uh, which is really good for a fullback. By did as well. Um, you know, by just got more notice because he scored a great goal and he had four shots. Um, and part of the reason, you know, going beyond that goal, part of the reason is the revolution when they're pushing numbers forward late had by really far forward and almost as a target up there um, on some plays. So that got him more shots, but, you know, Brandon Bayes, I think, has been good this year, offensively especially. But, you know, there's still been games this year where he's been one of the problems on defense. So I wouldn't all of a sudden go to, you know, full-on praising Brandon Bayes as the new savior um, because I don't think he's been perfect either. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's both fullbacks in the revolution have had their moments where they've been extremely bright on offense. And, um, you know, both have had moments where maybe they haven't been as good defensively. But I, I think Dewan Jones has been very, very good this year. I think Brandon Bay has gotten better this year, um, but still has some of those frustrating errors on defense that I think you can't ignore. Yep. And then one last question from Eric. He said he wanted to get some love for Renix because I thought he played his heart out in the first and letting Ema's cross go through to Carles, resulting in Bay's goal was a far headier play that I think a player of his edge would normally be expected to make in that position. Um, I talked a little bit negatively about Renix earlier and the fact he only had seven touches and um, only completed two passes in 57 minutes. Uh, was I too harsh? Does he deserve some more credit? No, I don't think it was too harsh. I think I think maybe you do. Maybe, yeah, he deserves some credit for some of his play off the ball, but he needs to be more involved with the, uh, the run of play in a more consistent basis. If, if, if he wants to be a, a consistent contributor to the team i think uh he's shown flashes here or there i'm still high on renix like i've been back and forth as to what my thoughts were on justin renix and what's going forward last year i kind of thought the justin renix experiment was over and that's mostly because he was with res 2 didn't get much outside of that um but this year he's been involved quite a bit more and he's got a few starts now um i'm back on the renix train i think there's still a lot for him to offer but much like uh, you're talking about Matt Turner and Tejon Buchanan coming in as raw talents, I think Justin Rennick's also a raw talent. Ceiling nowhere near as high as either of those, I don't think. But I think that he has the ability to come in and be a solid MLS contributor uh, in some capacity. I think more off the bench is what you're looking at with Justin Rennick's. 
possibly a uh, I can't think of his name right now. Someone the Revs drafted and oh my god, uh, Patrick Mullins. Yes, thank you. That's exactly who I was thinking of. Uh, that's that's the sort of uh, MLS career that I see Justin Reynolds possibly happen. I think Patrick Mullins actually just announced his retirement like a couple of weeks ago. Um, so that was unexpected. Um, but yeah, that's 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 kind of what I see with Justin Reddick's. Um And I, I think that he had an okay night. I, I wouldn't say he had a bad night, but um, it was okay. Yeah. So I think um, with Justin Reddick, there was a lot of hype surrounding him when he first came to the Revolution because he was coming off that you know that U twenty World Cup where he'd scored that goal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a, a player with a lot of hype surrounding him that had played for the youth national team in a, a really big game. Um, and I think there was too much hype surrounding him, to be honest. I think the expectations were too high around what he could be um, for the revolution because he was still a very raw talent, despite the fact that he was playing for the U.S. U-20 national team. Um, but now it's been, you know, he signed with the team in 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, and really wasn't getting much chance with the first team. So like you, I had, did not have expectations for him going into the season. I'd pretty much written him off. Um, and he's shown he can be a contributor to this team. He's shown he's a guy that can actually have an impact on the field um, and can play at this level, which is is already a lot more than I was expecting him to do this season. Um, he, he does deserve a lot of credit for that, for proving doubters, including myself, wrong. Um, but at the same time, I'm not going to give him too much credit for this game. I mean, that was good play that he let the ball go through to Carly's heel, but... You know, I, I do think you need more out of a guy than seven touches in 57 minutes. So I, I, I don't know. Um, credit to him for what his improvements this season. But, you know, if he's going to be a starter, I think he needs to have more of an impact than he had tonight um, for the revolution. Yeah, and when you take down that beautiful cross, I still can't remember who's. It might have been Brandon By that passed it to him. But when you chest out that beautiful cross, make something happen with it. Don't just turn it back and send it back back to your defenders. That one's that one frustrated me. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, the when he turned away from goal and yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about. So yes, yeah. you know credit credit for the good things he's done and the improvements he's made, but I'm not gonna go overboard yet. Um we'll <laughs> we'll we'll see how he continues to develop. But he's I mean he's twenty three now, so he's not the, the young guy that he originally came to the Revs as. Um with that said, do you have any any final thoughts, any things we haven't covered before we wrap up? Yeah, I got two things. Actually, I think it might just be one because I forgot the other thing. Uh, everyone, we had a lot of questions saying, what center back would you bring in? And I just kept saying, Abubakar, uh, 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 Abubakar, I can't even think of his name right now because there's two different Abubakars that play for Colorado and it drives me crazy. Um, but I actually was, I, while we were recording this, I was looking it up and trying to get an actual solid answer for this question. And I think my answer is going to be a player like Tristan Blackman. A player who's not necessarily a starter, but who is definitely starting capable. Uh, for not right now, he I think he is currently starting for Vancouver. Uh, Vancouver is a team that I think needs a lot of overhaul. I think that would be a great place to go. Um, Tristan Blackman, that's my solid answer. Um, and my other my other comment was thank you for listening to me ramble if you've gotten this far because I have been rambling a lot tonight. So apologies for making this go so long. What about a U.S. Open Cup hero, uh, Mitch Tanter, who scored the who had the game-winning assist uh, against Austin FC in San Antonio's upset? How about bring that Revolution Academy product back to uh, be some depth in the center back? <laughs> I missed that play, and I'm kind of upset about it because I am a huge U.S. Open Cup fan. 
Um, but that sounds good to me. Yeah. So it was uh, the uh, battle of Mitch Tanter versus Diego Fagundes, and Diego Fagundes opened the scoring, and Mitch Tanter had the game-winning assist at the upset. So uh, why, not, why not the 6-1 center back Revs Academy product? Why don't you give him an, another chance? <laughs> let's do it, yeah. Uh, I still say Tristan Blackman, but I, I'm, all, I'm all for bringing Mitch in, too. I mean, at, bring at them this all point, in. bring in all the. Yeah, at, at this point, it can't can't get much worse. So why uh, why not give him a shot? Yeah. <laughs> um, with that, I do want to give a quick shout out to the Bent Musket, our friends there. Make sure to check them out at thebentmusket.com and visit them on social media on the Bent Musket on Twitter. Chris, where can people find you on Twitter and elsewhere on social media? Yeah, primarily over on Twitter. Just find me at Chris Lucas, K R I S V A L U K I S. And you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. Make sure you check out the podcast on Facebook at Revolution Recap. You can check us out on Instagram at Revolution Recap. You can check us out on Twitter also at Revolution Recap. So very, very hard to uh, remember that. But uh, please check us out on all those. Give us, a, give us a follow, rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. Um, thanks again to everyone for listening. We'll be back next week um, and hopefully with a uh, positive result. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.